Good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you today as we learn, as we grow. We're going to be going into Colossians chapter 3, so I invite you to open your Bibles if you have one. Uh, there may be one around you. If you don't, that's fine. You can open your phone app to uh, the Bible as well and just get yourself to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be following it. Much of it, most of it will be on the screen as well. So if you're not familiar with, uh, you know, bringing your Bible, it's all good. It is all good. We're going to work with that. And, uh, and we're going to teach you today God's Word. Uh, I didn't think about this first service, but this content today, this conversation, is predominantly, uh, let me back up, it's all <laughs> for those individuals that are already saying, I am choosing to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't learn if you're not following Jesus. It just means that today is um, a heavy talk. And there's a lot there, and so it's going to be directed, as it was from Paul, the Apostle Paul, directed to the church, the church family, the believers, in Colossae. We call it the book of Colossians. So we're going to get in there in just a moment. Let's do a review so we can be all on the same page. We're in a series right now, wrapping it up today, called Atomic. And the idea is that we all, come up, we all have these small, atomic-sized habits that create big difference in our lives. And the first week, we looked at how we can spend more time with God, which goes along with our focus here, love God. How can I spend, how can I make it a habit to spend more time with God? And then we, we looked into what that looked like through Christ's transfiguration and, and, and our transformation and how that all plays out. Spending more time with God, getting to know Him more. Uh, last week, we looked at our big idea of make it a habit to invest in your relationships. And so, week one, looking at loving God. Week two, looking at loving people. Now, understand this, is that this is the absolute primary thing that we need to focus on every single day of our lives. Why? Because if we truly obey God uh, by loving Him, we're going to love people people the way that he has called us to love people. And then that will go into really making disciples. Because if we know what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it, then it just kind of flows into it. Last week, we talked about how we spend a lot of energy, a lot of time, and a lot of resources into stuff and things. Why not invest that into something that really matters? Eternal, long-time relationships where you can really invest into people. And this week, we're going to look at how we can make it a habit to worship with your life. On the sign out there, it says, worship is a lifestyle, not a day of the week. And that is so true. I need to be reminded of that because on Monday morning, when I get a case of the Mondays, I'd have a hard time worshiping God because it's Monday morning. I bet some people struggle because it was raining out today because I am over the rain. Are you not over the rain? I just want it to be nice out so I can go outside. I'm going to go play in the rain for crying out loud just so I can get out and be out there. And so we're going to learn today to make it a habit to worship with your life. Have you ever found yourself going into autopilot? You know those moments of autopilot where you're doing something and all of a sudden you go, wait, what? You're driving down the road, you go drive to work and for 20 years and then maybe you retire from that job or move on and then you start going somewhere else but you all, you're, you're like, why didn't you turn? I don't know, I just, I guess I'm going to work. You don't work there anymore. And so you find yourself in autopilot. Think about this, have you ever gone to a movie and you go up to that little, the little booth there, and the gentleman or the young lady tears your ticket, and they say, here, enjoy your movie, and you say, thanks, you too. And then all of a sudden you go, now, 
never mind. Just keep walking, right? You just keep walking because you went into autopilot. You don't know why you said what you said, but you said it. How about walking up your stairs or going downstairs in your basement and all of a sudden you hit the bottom and you go, wait, why am I here? The autopilot. Or we're getting older and we don't acknowledge that, right? That happens. I, I've, seen, I've seen teenagers do that too. So let's be real. It happens to all of us. We go into autopilot. Or have you ever hung up on the phone with somebody and it was just a casual person like your boss and when you hung up, you just went into autopilot and said, yep, see you later, love you. But, <laughs> sir, <laughs> like, how do you come back from that? You ever seen those movies where, you know, the lady on the phone's talking to her boss, says, I love you, and he's all like weirded out by it? Went into autopilot, probably. It just went into autopilot. We do that. We go into autopilot, and we're just kind of like, we just do things because it's a level of our subconscious that is so ingrained in us, we just start behaving without even thinking. What if, church, what if worship becomes something that flows out of us that's so deeply ingrained that we, we just almost do it with very little effort? Where Not that we make it easy and it's just like, oh, I'm just going like to automate my worship, but it's, it's that you snap into worship without even really thinking about it. You get some really good news. Typically, you win the lottery, you get a million dollars, and we want to say, oh, thank you, God. And then we get some really bad news. We need to snap into still worship our good God. And imagine if it was so ingrained in you that you just did it, that you just did it. And you realize it's like somebody saying, hey, will you add me to your prayer list? I'm going to be honest with you, probably the only pastor in the whole world that doesn't actually have a journal of prayers that I keep next to me all the time. I'm sorry, but when somebody says, pray for me, I'm grabbing you right there and I'm grabbing your hand. Let's pray right now. And as the Lord brings people to my mind, I stop right then and there. Let's pray right here and now. I have prayed in grocery stores while pumping gas. I have prayed in spaces if somebody says, hey, can we pray about that? And someone just backs up because they're not trying to be associated with whatever we got going on. Just this habit that you jump into these things. There's a passage in the book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul that can help us figure out this idea of worship, what it really means to worship and how we can make it a, a, like a for real habit, like a practical thing. I'm sure you've heard messages before that's like, all you need to do is this more and that more. And I'm sure that I've been the one to say those things. But we need practical, hands-on things that say, well, what does it look like to worship? What does it mean? Like, if I'm worshiping, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Am I supposed to grow, throw a hand up? Am I currently worshiping? Like, do I close my eyes? We're going to walk through what this looks like through the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to read through all of this section, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pick it apart. So if you have a pencil or a pen or a highlighter, and you want to start drawing some stuff on it, today we are going to get our Bibles messy. All right, so we're going to jump in here. To, to start off, I'm reading the first few verses of Colossians. I don't have those on the screen because I didn't want them on the screen. And so I just want to read it to you to start us in the process of Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Just listen for a moment or follow in your Bible. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That seems pretty simple. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, in light of all of that, in light of the understanding that we have been raised to new life believers, we are looking at Colossians 3, verse 5. There's going to be two powerful transitional statements we're going to look at. First, so put to death... And the second, put on. So we're going to talk about the things that we are to put to death, to take off, and the things that we are to put on. And these are the two categories. As a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to truly authentic, be a living, Romans chapter 12, be a living and a holy sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice where you say, well, I want to do this, but if God says I should do this, then I'm going to sacrifice and deny myself that thing so that I can be obedient. It's very foreign in our language in the world because we're all so used to consumerism, and it's not that. It really is a family. It really is an understanding that our Heavenly Father leads us and guides us and instructs us because he cares for us, not because he's a dictator. He wants you to experience life to the fullest. Jesus even said that he came to do that. So in light of the fact that you have been raised to new life, check this out. Colossians 3, verse 5. I'm gonna read through all of it. And then we'll come back. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. There it is. Put on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. It doesn't matter. He's trying to encompass all this. Christ is all that matters. Wow, say that with me. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love. Somebody say love, which binds all binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. 
teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Other translations will say in the name of Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we have heard your word and we're ready to dive into it. Give us ears to hear and spirits that are patient and bold in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to jump into this and we're going to talk through this a little bit here. So put to death is the big phrase, the, the starting one, put to death. So in light of the fact that you have been raised to new life in Christ as a follower of Jesus, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Things that used to be a part of your ongoing behavior, like, like somebody that would be able to You've heard the phrase functioning alcoholic. Have you heard that before? That's the only thing that comes to my mind when I think about like you're functioning with your sin. You're functioning with a behavior that you've always functioned with. And so what Paul is telling the church of Colossae here is you actually need to put that to death. It's, it's like a part of you, like your arm or your leg that's always been there. And so, and it's just been working with you. And so now you're following Jesus. It's still there though. So now we have to put to death and we're commanded to put it to death, which means we can in Christ actually put these behaviors to death have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Now, the uh, Greek word here is pornea. I would imagine in your intelligence, you can figure out what English word we get from pornea. Shake your head if you understand. <laughs> nice. Um, this is talking about anything to do with promiscuity of any and every type. Marital unfaithfulness, this idea of fornication, which that word's very uh, popularly used within the King James Bible. And of course, that means two people not married, engaged in married behavior. Now, again, I'm not here pointing, pointing fingers. I'm here explaining how what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's, that's what we're doing here in Colossians chapter 3. And so he says, have nothing to do with it, right? So not even the visual of it, not even, not even like people wondering, like have nothing to do with it, not even once in a while, nothing whatsoever. It is not becoming of somebody who says, listen, you want to follow Jesus? That is not your best yes. That is the, that's what's actually destroying you. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of the best things moving forward that are for your life. So we're going to put these to death, have nothing to do with impurity, lust, and evil desires. Now we're talking about foul, rotten, poisonous thing, figuratively speaking in a way, this inner malice flowing out of a morally rotten character. Like, like there's, and then the things that we get into that are also levels of addictions also. Picture, if you will, for me. Have anybody in here ever tried to grow tomatoes? Raise your hand to grow tomatoes. Okay, great. You ever have that rotten part at the bottom that I can't figure out how to stop and you spray it with all the stuff and you have the rotten part? And so you look at it and you're just like, man. And so what do you got to do? You got to cut that part off. You don't put that part on the sandwich. You take that and you're just like, I'm not going to use that part. That's the idea is you're cutting it off. You're getting it out of there. It is filthy. And we're not just talking about lust in the idea, in the idea of 
intimacy, uh, those types of things. We're looking at it in the sense of, which I misused that word. I'm just being sensitive to some of the ages in here. So, um, so just trying to understand that lust is also after things, right? So I lust for stuff as well. And he says, don't have anything to do with any of that. And then he goes on and he says, now, uh, now, of course, lust can also lead us into this next portion. Check this out. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. They don't, Paul doesn't pull any punches here, right? He says, don't be greedy because you're actually idolizing those things, that stuff, that money. Because these sins, now, you know anything about the structure of sentences? If you just look in the English here, because of these sins, the previous ones that were listed, the anger of God is coming. He's not mad at you and me. He's mad at sin. He's against sin, burning anger of the sin. And as followers of Jesus, uh, Romans 6 and 7, you can choose to sin or not. And so he says, take these away. Get these out of your life, believer. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world, uh, verse 8. But now it is time to get rid of, and here's some more, anger. And in this wording, we're looking at vengeance, right? Getting back at that person. They're going to get what they deserve. And your heart posture is just mad and angry. That's why we learn that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Because he can operate in any sort of anger, in his divine anger, in his divine vengeance. He has, he, he does that. We're not God, he's God. He can do it without sin, we cannot. That's why we lay it on him and we have to constantly give it to him. Also rage, but now it is time to get rid of anger and rage. This idea of rage, you ever see somebody... The Incredible Hulk. He gets mad and he starts raging, right? Hulk smash. And then he goes around and he's punching stuff and he starts raging. And we're told that that's, we're, we're supposed to have self-control. We're not supposed to go into this rage where we're, right? And we have these intense emotions that we don't control. Apparently in the Church of Colossae, we had some people running around that were acting this way and they were raging out against each other. And then he says, now it's time to get rid of malicious behavior. This is hateful, hateful behavior. This is the stuff, give you an example, uh, as we've done before. Think for a moment of that individual that if they came to your house and knocked on your door today, you would slam the door in their face. Got them? When we act towards that person, we are acting in a sense of hatefulness. And as believers, we are called to offer forgiveness. Now, again, that doesn't mean the relationship is completely restored. It just means that you're not living with uh, the bitterness of the offense. And so we, we got to let go of those things. We got to move on from those things. Why would you hold on to something that they don't even know they did probably? Or, or, and then you just keep reliving that. I have spent time in my life, reliving conversations, hateful talk, all those things. And I would play, you ever been, you've, been, you've done this before where you're replaying the conversation. You ever get in an argument with the person that's not in front of you? Right? You start arguing that conversation all over again. You haven't seen this person in years and you're going, well, I can't believe they said that to me. What I should have said was, and we just, we keep it going so long. Man, we've got to keep 
how I do it is when it pops up, man, I don't play with that anymore. In Jesus' name, I am not focusing on that. And when the, when the noise up here gets louder, I get louder out here. No, in the name of Jesus, I am not gonna focus. I am not gonna focus on that. I am not gonna think, and I will tell myself, we are not going there again. People driving by me, sitting at a red light. <laughs> probably, probably think I'm crazy, but I am not going to allow that to control me any longer. And the spirit that lives inside of me is the only reason I can even do that. So malicious behavior, slander. This has to do with exchanging what God says is bad and calling it good or vice versa. Slandering the truth. So we know in our culture that we have a lot of this going on where there are things within scripture that people are trying to redefine. And so there's a level of slander slandering and saying, and this is, this is nothing new. At the very beginning of creation, we experienced this, where uh, Satan would, would talk to Eve and was talking to them and said, um, did God really say, oh, you're not going to die. It's not that big. A, playing it off like it's not a thing. And then here we are. Um, sin enters the world. Slander is a big deal. And dirty language, abusive. We're talking specifically about abusive language, filthy speech, foul, obscene type of things, that type of language. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you you're going to be a better Christian if you stop uh, cursing. I'm not going, I'm not saying this. What I'm saying is that when you are filled with the spirit of the living God, you want to present yourself in such a way, not in a fake way, but in a real way that you honor the son of God so that with the things that come out of your life or the tongue has the power of life and death, that you speak life in every way. In no time has there been a time where somebody has dropped an F-bomb and it has filled you with life. <laughs> Let's just be real. In high school, I remember that. And I was, I, I'm telling you what, I would be afraid to talk today like I did back when I was in high school. I remember a friend of mine uh, who I thought I was better than said, Gordon, man, you're cussing like all the time. And I thought that you went to church, right? Not about behavior modification. It's about I represent something that's bigger than me. And they're looking at me as a representation of Jesus. And they're going, but I thought, help me understand what's different. What's different? There should be a difference. And then it goes on here. Don't lie. Like, don't deceive each other. For you have stripped off uh, your old self or your own sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Okay? So don't lie. Don't deceive people. Eat, uh, don't deceive each other. For you have stripped off. You, and so this idea of stripping off is depriving you're depriving your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And so here's the idea of what it looks like. Everybody ever born was born with a black vest on, okay? They have this vest on and they have, they have their pockets full of behaviors. 
And so they find out, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start going to church and eventually, you know what, I'm going to be the church and I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to do these things. And so what they're doing, they learn that I'm going to stop, okay, I'm going to take this off because the Bible says I got to empty my pockets of all this junk and, and I'm going to, okay, I got to, I got to strip off my, my old self and I'm going to put on, check this out, the glory of God. Isn't this so great? And I'm putting on this one and, and I got this going and I say, okay, so I am going to truly start following Jesus in a new way. I look different, right? Yeah, I look a little bit different there. And so I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Oh, I can't forget. I want to make sure that I have these things in my pocket. Because these are the things I like to do. And we're told here that we are supposed to deprive our old self so I don't even keep that stuff with me anymore. The behavior of tearing people down, the behavior of being out super late, doing things I know are not becoming of somebody who says my life is different. So I have to take all that out. And now if I'm out and about, I don't do those things anymore. I have deprived my old nature. So now I have to make new choices and different choices. And so when people say, oh yeah, you, you, you started, people will say things like, you started going to that church, didn't you? And they'll see a difference. And then you deprive yourself where you don't try to pull out something good. Oh no, it's okay. I still got this. Oh no, I still have this. No, it's gone. It's gone. And you push that stuff aside. This is why, Je hold on a second, church. This is why Jesus said, count the cost. Don't just sign up to be, you know what? I'm going to start, I'm going to start paying more attention to Jesus, and you just sign up not even thinking about it. He says, count the cost. Think about what you're getting into. And I would imagine any pastor today that had thousands of people as part of a congregation or a following would be like, well, at least they're here. And Jesus turned around to his following, and he said, hey, yeah, you got to count the cost. Following me, uh, comparatively speaking, looks like you hate everybody else. And they left. And so then he looked at the disciples and said, you guys going too? You got to count the cost because this is no joke. Following Jesus, following Jesus is a intense, strong man or woman thing. And you may not be there right at the beginning, but he's going to grow you into what he's calling you to do. So we got to count the cost when we think of these things. So we started with the first part of this, put to death. All that stuff's got to be put to death. Anything that's in your pockets that you're saying, ooh, I don't know that I want to show pastor that. I don't know that I want it to be displayed up here. Anything you got on your cell phone, anything that you have in a journal, anything at all that you have that you're actually feeding that side, we're going to put it to death. I'd invite you to take whatever that is, go home and burn it and watch it go up and say, I am free from that because you know as well as I do, it's not doing anything but putting you in more bondage. And so we're going to put that to death. Now, put on, put on your new nature and be renewed uh, as, you, as you learn to know your creator, become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. 
Christ is all that matters. Say that with me again. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. Okay, so you just won, oh, you just inherited a whole bunch of money. Hey, Christ is all that matters. Well, what if I just loot? What if I get a diagnosis? Hey, Christ is all that truly matters. Fix your eyes on him. But what if I follow Jesus and people turn away from me? Listen, Christ is all that really matters. Well, what if someone I truly love, even my spouse, can't take the fact that I'm following Jesus and they do? Listen, Christ is all that matters. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, don't be torn over here and don't be torn over here. Just fix your eyes right there. Just fix your eyes. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because Christ is all that matters. Verse 12, since God chose you to be holy, to be the holy people he loves, you must, cl- must close your, clothe yourself in tenderheartedness, uh, tenderhearted mercy, kindness. Let's take for a moment, I just, want to, I just want to empower you believers to understand what this section is talking about a little bit here. Since God chose you, oftentimes we can be confused or we can be afraid of this concept of God chose you. So let's talk about this for just a moment. The Greek word here for chose is eklektos. It's an adjective derived from the word eklekomai, okay? What does that matter? Nothing other than the fact that uh, I wanted to try to say a Greek word today. And so I've got that, it's, it, it, which means to select, choose, especially as a deeply personal choice, literally chosen out of a personal preference, so the intention behind it. And so typically... With this word is used, this idea of select, uh, select or chosen, it describes people who choose to follow the Lord. That is, they become God's choice by freely receiving faith in him. Now, we're going to talk about two big concepts that we're not going to get a whole lot into now, but I just want to give a brief overview of what this looks like here. Whether you choose to stand with the idea of something known as unconditional election, which when you use that that word choice, you could also exchange that with the word election. Have you heard that? We are the elect. You've maybe seen that in the, in the King James, perhaps. When you, when you, if, if you should choose to stand in the idea of unconditional election, that means that God chooses those who will be saved based on his will alone. Or the conditional election, which God chooses those who will be saved based on his foreknowledge of who is going to freely receive salvation. Now, those are two huge camps that have been talking and debating forever. Either way, what we can all agree is being taught through God's word is that God is, in fact, uh, absolutely sovereign all-powerful, and we are invited as humans, we are called to accept Christ. So there will be people who will accept the free gift of salvation, and there will be people who reject it. Regardless of why, our responsibility is simple. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Jesus, the last thing he said, Tom, before he went to heaven, go and make disciples, right? So like, be with people, teach them to obey the things that I have taught you. 
And so our responsibility is to get into the world of people and teach them and train them and love them, right? As we do this, we are going to do this, right? And out of obedience, we're going to do this. And so when you see that within Scripture, I know we can get wrapped up in the underlying theology of it, but I want us to focus today on our responsibility, which is to do just this. So God, so since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. This idea of clothing is almost like not just wrapping yourself, but laying in a garment, like completely consumed with this garment. I love the Bible. It's so stinking intense. Like every word was chosen specifically. It was so good. This idea of clothing yourself in kindness, which means if you completely clothe and wrap yourself in kindness and tenderheartedness, you don't kick people once in a while because you're clothed in love and tenderhearted mercy. Humility, gentleness. Let's talk about this humility for a minute. Um, humility. The idea of humility is that when, when you have a conversation with somebody, go into it with a learner's heart. Hey, help me understand something. Um, why did you think it was a good idea to drive the car through the other car? I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to learn. That's a goofy example. Help me understand. Why did you make that decision? Because I don't think that I... I'm not seeing it. So show me, teach me what you're, so then the person, so you come at this with the idea of humility. So instead of going in there with rage, because we're actually told that to, to kick that off. So uh, parents, I know we, isn't it interesting that we have a rage button and the kids can always find it, <laughs> you know? It doesn't matter if they're little kids or big kids. They just go beep, 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 beep. And then you just, ah. And so we're supposed to throw that away and we're supposed to be clothed in humility. Help me understand Help me understand. That's something we all need to know as parents, anybody, grandparents, doesn't matter who you are. Help me understand and go with it with humility. Okay. Uh, gentleness and patience in order that you can make allowances for each other's faults. This idea of make allowances, if you know anything about budgeting, you put line items on a budget. Are you with me? Say yes. Okay, these are the budgeters. And so these people are budgeting. If you don't have a budget, get a budget. You'll live better. And so you have these lines of budget. So you have like tithe and you have utilities and you have food and you have entertainment and all those types of things. And, uh, and in that, relationally speaking, you put a line for people doing dumb things. You just type that in there. People doing dumb things. Because isn't that true? People are going to do dumb things and it's going to be offensive and it's going to be annoying and you need to make allowances for that. Give them some grace and some leeway that you're going to acknowledge that this person that I love and I care for and that I know is going to do things that's going to be uh, goofy. And so I'm going to make allowances. So I know that many of you make allowances for my goofiness. And so that's in there. That's relational line. And so what we're learning here is make an allowance, acknowledge that it is going to happen, and don't be super surprised. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. Why wouldn't you be surprised? They're, they're, you know, they, they, uh, they, are, they are somebody that needs Jesus like you need Jesus. And so they're operating in their flesh in that moment rather than the spirit. Don't be surprised when we act that out. 
And so, after, you know, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone. You ready for this English lesson? Check this out. Anyone. This is an indefinite pronoun, a pronoun that does not refer to anyone, amount, or thing in any specific way. The word anyone, the Greek word for anyone is anyone, and it actually means literally anyone. So if anyone offends you, you got to forgive that. And it's not for them. It's for you. You're not letting them off the hook as though, wow, then they're going to get away with it. Well, guess what? It's not them getting away with it. You forgiving gives you sleep back at night. And so consider what you're doing to your own spiritual growth by not doing that. So forgive anyone who offends you. And listen to this. I got it all underlined in everything. Remember, remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, meaning on the basis of this, clothe yourself. They keep telling us to clothe ourselves, wrap ourselves, cover ourselves with love because love is which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, that com- or the peace that comes from Christ, I memorized it in a different version. <laughs> Sorry, so I keep saying it wrong. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts at, uh, for as members, like body parts, legs, such like that, um, uh, we are of one body, you are called to live at peace. So take a moment, look to the person to your left, believer. Look to the person to your right. You're supposed to live at peace with that person. I know, I know, they get at you sometimes. They bug me too. And so here's the reality. As the church of Jesus, we are called to live at peace, not perfection. We are called to live at peace. Live at peace. You know the difference between peace being in your home and not. You know the difference between walking in here and being at peace with everybody and not. Because you know that moment you don't have peace is that person you avoid. Because you don't have that peace. I'm trying to intentionally run into people I have issues with because I'm, I need to get peace. And so I'm just going to run. I'm going to walk into that awkward. I will step into that awkward because I just want that peace. And so I do everything that I can to live at peace. Verse 16, let's wrap this up. But the message about Christ, this embodying idea, like a statement or a speech, this message about Christ, this good news, let it uh, in all its richness fill your lives. Filling your lives is the same idea of inhabiting one's like personal residence, like having a home. Let this message be at home within you. And then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. So we say every, every, every Sunday after we're done, it, it will be like this home inside. And whatever you do, verse 17, do it as a representative. Uh, most all the other translations will say in the name of, basically saying that when you leave here today, if you're gonna call yourself a believer, a follower of Christ, you're taking with you the reputation of Jesus. The one that lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again, went to heaven, promised he'd come back. And when you leave here, even sitting here, you represent him. So I tell my kids, hey, when they go leave, I say, hey, remember you're Haberg. Don't embarrass me and don't embarrass Jesus. Little teasing, kind of, right? You represent us. Know that you represent a family, 
You represent a people. You represent a community. You represent a faith. If only we would have this autopilot of, the, of David. In Psalm chapter 63, we learn about this. You see, Charles Spurgeon adds, we are told that among the primitive Christians, it is decreed that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. Listen to David's heart in this psalm. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Now in this poetry writing within the biblical context, we're understanding that he says that uh, your unfailing love is better than life. It's an imagery that we get that even in death, God's love is better. During COVID, and especially during like the heaviest times, and I'd have one-on-one conversations with people, I would just casually, not pointing anybody out, I would just casually say things. And the one thing that I would say consistently is, listen, death for a believer is not the worst thing. We need to keep our, we need to keep, we need to keep focused on the truth. Is it hard? Yes, it's terribly hard because those that left behind will grieve extensively. But when you leave this world for our real home, because we're just here, we're just hanging out for, for a time, we have rented bodies for this moment, but yet we are longing for a place that is with God rather than without God. And so even with COVID, you can be careful, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because as a follower of Jesus, there is so much more yet to come. So much more. So be encouraged. Your unfailing love is better than life itself, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be sentenced. David says, I will praise God because God's love is better than life. And so when we do this thing of loving God and we really begin to dive in here, we begin to see ourselves kind of morph into this. Now we're loving people the way that God has instructed us to love because the only way we can love the way God has instructed us to love is if we are truly loving God because this is the sacrificial divine love that we can't do without the Spirit of God. Do you get that? Do you understand that without Him, it stops? Period. So we love God, we love people, to make disciples. So the past couple of weeks, we've talked about habit stacking. Take a habit you're already doing. Take a habit you're already doing and we stack another habit on top of it. 
so that way we can make a habit of spending time with God, which was week one. Make it a habit to invest in your relationships, which was last week. Just take a habit you're already doing. I'm not saying stop or change yet. I'm saying add the habit. And then this week, make it a habit to worship with your life. And here's why. James chapter 2. What good is it? Ella just read this for us a little bit ago. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. You don't have to do good deeds to be loved by God and received by God. We do good things, good deeds because we are loved by God. You don't have to earn it. You do it because out of thankfulness and gratefulness and honor and everything that binds together in love. So here's our next step. I think that we poured out a lot of next steps already. I encourage you to go through Colossians chapter three again and just go through there and pray over it. God, is there anything unclean in me? that needs to go. Create one habit to help you worship with your life, meaning that when you're not here, you're, you're behaving the same way, thinking the same way, uh, processing things the same way. It's not easy, and it's not going to change overnight, but it is significant because without a Savior, without a Savior, we live in eternity without Him. Anything good comes from God. Take out every, we are not even close to hell in this world because the spirit, we still have access to the spirit. But once we leave this world, that's it. Focus on him. Grab a hold of that today and change your life. So Father in heaven, as we've learned from your word today, Please instill these words into us. May we not be able to rest until we go through this. May we long for you in autopilot the way that David just longed for you. May we just reach to you without even thinking, talk to you without even trying to like set up a time to do it. We just dive into you. God, thank you for what all this means. Thank you so much for making a way that whosoever will may come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand with me. Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. If you want to stay and stuff some eggs downstairs, you're welcome to go downstairs and stuff some eggs. Next week, don't forget, we're going to go over to Las Penas and we're going to have Mexican food. You know I'll be there. And so for the kids, it's all for the kids. All right, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then, and only then, Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Now say it with me. Go and be the church.